Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Don't let the mysteries of life scare you away. Instead, ask Altucher. Here's James Altucher. So, uh, Casey Neistat, I'm really glad you're on the show. You're a huge YouTuber. You get like 13 mil- million views per YouTube video, 500,000 subscribers, but you've also made movies. You've had an HBO series. You're incredibly creative. Uh, I have a billion and a half questions for you. Are you, are you ready for it? Uh, yeah, I hope we can get to all billion and a half in the next 60 minutes, but um, I'm ready. Okay, we might not get to a billion and a half, but we're going to get to at least like five. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for five. So, so, but first I kind of want to ask you, you know, you do something, and this has nothing to do with YouTubing, but you do something that... I want my fifth. You, you did something that I want my fifteen-year-old daughter to do, which is you dropped out of high school at the age of fifteen. And why'd you do that? Well, I should I should give some context to preface this by saying I recommend to exactly zero fifteen-year-olds to drop out of high school. Why? School, why uh, high school? Um, high school's boring. Well, I mean, look, I think it's 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 unique for each person, and um, I don't. Uh, I would never say that my path has been anything uh, even close to typical. But you know, in, in life, there's like a million different trajectories, and you never know where they might lead you. But uh, I, I'm a big, I'm a staunch believer in in education. My son is 16 years old. He's a he's a junior in high school, and he gets uh, very high marks. And if he doesn't, we stop stop everything and do what we can to correct it and he'll be going to college. So I'm a big proponent of, 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 of education. Um, my situation was unique and I was, you know, I was in a really difficult spot and, uh, the only, uh, I, I didn't see any other options, but leaving school so I could, I could get a job and, and support my then burgeoning family at age, at age 16. Wow. So when you say you were in a difficult spot, can you describe what that means? Uh, yeah. I my son was born when when or, or pregnant with my son when I was 16 years old. So you know I didn't really have family to turn to to take care of me. I didn't have anyone else. You know I was on my own. So it was it was up to me to figure out how to support my newborn baby. And and the only way to do that was to work, not you know not to not to stay in school. Um, so, so, so I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of choice, a lot of options. Uh, so obviously you were scared, but don't you think that fear became almost like what catapulted you into the the creative successes you had later? And I'm not trying to kind of force you into um, kind of my own plot line here, but do you think it, it was a catalyst? Um, yeah, I mean, look, well, first of all, I wasn't scared. I think that's a mischaracterization. Fear never played any part of it. I think it was purely based on necessity and, and practicality. Never uh, never make decisions out of fear, and I don't think I ever have. But, um, I, I, look, I, I don't think that 
anyone who's found any level of success in their life, uh, I don't think they could ever point to any one thing that that yielded to that success. And certainly, uh, I'm, I'm no different. It's um, you know, I've I've had a lot of ups and downs in my career. I'm still you know a young guy. I feel like my career is still just starting at age 33. Um, and certainly, looking back at the decisions I made, whether they're decisions I had to make or decisions I choose to make, um, I, I wouldn't change the path that I took. Um, but again, I, I wouldn't say that it's, it's it's literally a path I would recommend. I think that always choosing, um, you know, following your following your passion, and then always choosing whatever instinct says to do at that at that given time in life is is the very best you can do. Well, and, well, uh, and that's what I did. And let me ask you, like, career, I sort of feel nowadays, is kind of an umbrella term. Like, like it, it's not like you go to an office and sit in a cubicle and do your job. Like, you kind of do things from making YouTube videos to running uh, essentially a, a new type of ad agency to, um, you know, making movies. Like, clearly you've taken your creative talents and applied it in several different directions. What would you say? What What would you say you're most focused on? I mean, is it the YouTube videos? We've done about a hundred of them. Is it the ad agency? Is it kind of figuring out whether you're going to go towards you know full blown movie making? What 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 do you like to do right now? Well, I mean, I think in life you can always you can get a job like you're describing working in an office, um, or you can you know you can invent a job or you can create a job. And I think that I fall into the uh, the latter category, where my aspirations and my my goals of what how, how I spend the majority of my time and how I make a living, they and they certainly don't now I, practically fall into any fall into any boxes or any sort of predetermined uh, predetermined categories. So uh, I, I very much consider what I do a, a job, and I take my career and my job very seriously. But uh, it is. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's atypical. Um, but that said, what is, what is my main focus? Uh, you know, I just started another company. I, I recently started uh, a technology company that, that's my primary focus now. Um, YouTube, making YouTube videos is my absolute passion. And, um, you know, like, like you mentioned, I've, I've spent a lot of time working in television and I've, I've produced two very successful feature films. And I've, you know, I've worked a lot, and I've worked in sort of every manifestation of, of video making there is, and nothing really turns me on, nothing excites me as much as YouTube, so... Let, let, let's um, talk about that, because I want to ask you about all these things, but let's talk about the YouTube videos, because they have a very particular style that I think is is particular to YouTube. Um, it's like a combination of... there's a, there's. You're, you have a point you're making. There's a lot of fast cutting. I mean, there's hundreds of scenes maybe in a three hundred in, in a three minute video, and and there's a lot of humor in the, in the in the videos. Like, what was what was the first one? How did you start kind of building up your YouTube style? How did you notice that? How did you measure success in this area? Um, do you make money from the YouTube videos? It's a lot of questions um, in once. Yeah, it's a lot of questions. Oh, let me start by. Giving you know my YouTube career a, a little bit of context, um, and that's that I, I succeeded first in the um, in the mainstream media world, so feature films and and television, and I had you know my own show on HBO that I, I wrote and directed and starred in, 
And um, I departed. I, I chose to leave mainstream media for YouTube, um, which is somewhat antithetical to, to most YouTubers' trajectories or at least aspirations. Uh, and the reason why I did that is because whether it's YouTube or, or Vimeo or any sort of free-to-access online distribution platform, what excites me about that is the, um, is the accessibility of it, is, is the egalitarian aspect of it. And, and more, what that means more acutely is, you know, like, in order for me to sell my show to HBO, there was a lot of politics involved. I had, you know, very powerful friends helping me set up meetings, and I had our executive producer was a very well-connected guy, and there was nepotism, and we were in the right place in the right time, and there was all this sort of, all, all of these external factors that, that preceded that show actually being sold to HBO. And none of that, none of that is what I'm interested in. None of that is what I care about. And more importantly, when I speak to young people who who have goals and ambitions to work in in the movie world, um, they don't have access to those things. And it just seems unfair. And it seems somewhat elitist. And it, it I think that work should only ever be judged on the merit uh, and the quality of, of of the movies, not not the sort of political uh, nonsense that that pollutes so much of that industry. So in deciding to depart from mainstream and focus on YouTube, it was, it was because of the democratic aspects of YouTube. Um, you know, YouTube and the Internet is a meritocracy. If it's good, um, it will find its audience. And, and that, to me, is the most exciting part of distributing online. That, to me, is why my, my passion and my main focus as a filmmaker is not getting another movie into the Cannes Film Festival, but is to make another YouTube movie that, you know, that, that a couple hundred thousand people want to see. Let me ask you if you if you made a YouTube video now now that you've had a wide range of success with YouTube if you make a YouTube video that only had like fifty thousand views would you get upset at yourself or would you figure okay I'm on to the next video? Um, no, I mean look, I I think that if you start to cater or pander to an audience in any in any capacity in every, in any in any form of of artistic expression, then you've already failed. Um, so to try to study what videos get the most views and try to, uh, you know, find a consistency in the movies that the audience responds to the best, I think that you're selling yourself short as a creator. And so yet, I, and, I make, uh, and yet, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yet I do look at all of your videos and I study them and I try to figure out what works because let's say I want to make YouTube videos. I'm going to try to learn from the guy who has 13 million views on videos. Well, sure. Look, it's 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 always the the artist's job to create the new cliches, but I think that that is that's very different from what my what you're describing is very different from from the question, which is, do I try to make movies that get a lot of views, or do I get upset when I don't get a lot of views? And the answer is a definitive and absolute no. I, I really don't give a shit whether a movie gets fifty thousand views or, or fourteen million views. Um, my most watched movie on my channel, I would say is nowhere near my what I consider to be my best movie on my channel. Um, I don't even think it's in the top top 20 best movies on my channel. And why it succeeded is based on a series of metrics that I don't think really speak to its quality as a, as a movie, but I think people think it's fun and people think it's silly and they laugh and they smile at it and it makes their day better. So it has 14.5 million views. But, um, you know, I, I have a movie on my channel that took me a, a two years to make and it's 23 minutes long and it's got a couple hundred thousand views 
and to me, that's that's a movie I'd rather be judged by. And, and the fact that it has, you know, ten percent of the the viewership of um, or less than that of the view, of my most watched movie doesn't really matter to me. So I think it's the quality of the work that that lasts, quality endures. The average movie, my guess is. It's one shot or two shots, and then they upload it to YouTube and expect views. How much? How much work? Like you just said, you took a year to to make a YouTube video. How many? How many hours of footage do you say would you shoot on average for? Like, let's say a five minute YouTube video. I mean, there's there's very little consistency in the production. Uh, you know, a movie like Bike Lanes, I made that in a day. Um, like, like snowboarding in New York City movie, I made that in two days. But uh, okay, let's let's talk about let's talk about bike lane for a second because that was a you you got ticketed for riding outside the bike lane, and your whole thing was that you're it's it's quite safe. In fact, it's even more safe in many cases to ride outside the bike lane, and you want your fifty dollar fine back. And so you kept driving into obstructions. And I have to admit, I'm like a two year old. Every time you hit like. Uh, like a garbage can or a police car and fell over, I laughed. Like, there's, there was just basic humor in it. Yeah, and look, I wasn't arguing that it's safer to not be in the bike lanes. I was just trying to illustrate a point that always being in the bike lanes is a completely impractical um, rule to enforce. And honestly, it's, it's the conclusion of the video is that it's not actually a law and you, you're not required by any, uh, by any laws to be inside of the bike lane. So the whole thing was just a little bit preposterous, but yeah, look, I, I don't think there's anything interesting about the argument that police shouldn't be picketing cyclists for, for riding in the street. I think that's a pretty uninteresting story. I think seeing somebody get a $50 ticket for, for summons for riding outside of the bike lane is a pretty uninteresting story. So in trying to make that interesting, um, yeah, physical humor. I mean, everybody loves to laugh, and uh, I think if I just uploaded a in a documentary about me getting a ticket, I don't think anybody would have cared. But if you can coat that medicine with a little bit of sugar and make it fun and make it a great time to watch and make it something that makes people laugh, then then people will will engage. And the truth is, like you know, for every for every hundred people that watched that movie and thought it was hysterical, there's one person that's like, you know, that's a silly rule and that shouldn't exist. So I think that it was uh, that movie was a real success in sort of communicating my frustration, but at the same time making a piece of content that people love to watch. What, what was the first YouTube video that you realized, hey, uh, this is going to be a great medium for me to do videos in? Like, what, what kind of, like, was the, the first catalyst for that? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, it's, I, like I said, it, it was more the aspect of, you know, the democratic aspect of distributing online that got me excited and not any, any one piece of content. What, what I mean... You've obviously also been um, using YouTube a little bit in your ad agency work. Like you have the video Make It Count where, um, you know, ostensibly the idea is Nike is giving you this money to make a video. And then you get this sense in the beginning that you're stealing this money to travel around the world. But, you know, my guess is that was part of the story. Like then that was a funny movie, too, just because of how it began. Uh, yeah, stealing is a really aggressive word. There was never any theft taking place, but I was commissioned by Nike, hired by Nike to make a promotional video around the, the idea of Make It Count, and I had pitched one idea and 
kind of at the ninth hour, I decided I didn't want to do that idea. And I had a different idea that was a little bit crazy and much harder to get permission for, so I didn't. And instead, I realized my idea. Um, but I think if you were to ask Nike right now, they'd tell you that there was there was no ill will there, and they were really excited about what I was doing. Um, but it was uh, it was it was not the agreed upon plan. And I think that 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 tension of like taking a real risk was really in in parity with the idea of like making it count. And here I was handed this opportunity by by Nike, and rather than you know rather than taking the traditional path and executing on what was originally agreed on, I thought I would make it count and really just go for it and do something I've always wanted to do. I, uh, I, and in the end, you know, that movie was, was ended up being one of the most watched online videos that he's ever made. Well, you know, I think this idea of taking a risk uh, is very important because, for instance, you don't see that in a lot of either YouTube videos or ads or whatever. And I think with all of your videos, there's this notion of taking a risk. And and you, do you, do you consciously think about that when planning out a YouTube video? Like, how, what what's the process when planning out a YouTube video that, of course, inevitably is going to go viral? Um, I mean, there's there's very little. I never know what the movie is going to be when I start doing it. It's just an idea, um, and then the, that idea matures in the execution. So that's why I always petition for, you know, ideas matter, matter very little. And I, I honestly don't really care much for ideas. It's execution that I think it's execution that matters. So if you were to take any of my movies and reduce them to a single idea, you would find an idea that's been done a million times before. There's nothing truly original about traveling the world, and there's nothing original about being mad at a police officer, and there's nothing unique about you know going on vacation with my kid. Um, but it's in the execution that that I'm able to sort of tell a story that I that I think and I hope people relate to. And, and what do you, and in the execution, what do you like to do? Like, what do you like to do that you feel will improve the quality of the video? Uh, you know, I, something I always try for is to capture a level of honesty. And I think that's really challenging. I think that's something that uh, is very hard to do when you're starting out in a career. How do you capture what is actually going on? How do you capture what you're actually experiencing? And I mean that in a literal way, but I also mean that in a visceral way. How do you, you know, how do you capture the emotion of, of a moment? How do you capture the emotion of an experience and capture it in a way that's, that's easily communicated? And that's something that I struggle with all the time. Um, you know, I have friends that are daily vloggers, and it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 I try to imagine daily vlogging, and I can't because I feel like the camera would dictate my lifestyle and not the other way around, and they would become inherently dishonest. So, yeah, I mean, look, one of my principles in all filmmaking is to be as, as honest as I possibly can, and that's something that I'm pretty conscious of. But I, I think that honesty implies a risk. So, for instance, like in your video of Surprise in South Africa, you're going to visit your girlfriend who's in South Africa, you're in the U.S., and it's a surprise. And along the way, we, we document you along the way, but when you land in South Africa... You really don't know where you're going. And it's kind of funny. You say to the cab driver, okay, this is definitely it. Then you say, no, this is not it. And, and you're getting closer and closer. And then you have no idea really how she's going to react. So there's this huge risk component that adds to the tension of the video. And like I said, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sh- one or two second segments in this video. I mean, there's hours of footage I'm sure you, you took or, you know, it was... It was wasn't the easiest video to make, but the risk isn't is throughout. 
And I think that uh, risk is is the honesty. Yeah, but look, the risk the risk that's portrayed in my movies is not done for the movies. I would say that you know, risk is something I've never been averse to in any aspect of my life and anything that I do, from business to personal to you know to making movies or telling stories or or you know running marathons. I've, I'm not a risk averse person. I embrace risk, and I'm someone who who deeply believes that life shrinks and, and expands in direct proportion to, to your willingness to assume risk. So um, I've never shied away from risk in anything I do. And I think like I think the most dangerous lifestyle anyone can live is a lifestyle where you, you play it safe. Uh, and, and that tends to transcend everything I do from making movies to, you know, to relationships and friendships and family and, and everything in between. And to be honest, I think that's what comes through in these videos and why people like them. I think not that everybody lives a life free of risk, but, you know, as the word implies, people are afraid of that risk to some extent. And here you are embracing it in these videos and, and then the video goes viral. I mean, I'm sure you don't have like a standard technique for, OK, I'm going to do this, this and this. And now the video is going to go viral. But that's the thing I see most in common in these videos as opposed to other videos out there? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think that's just something that people are able to relate to. I think it's highly relatable. I think that, um, you know, me going and chasing after a girl on the other side of the planet is just a level of passion that people can understand. And maybe people don't have the, the means or the resources or, or access or, or wherewithal to jump on a plane and say, the hell with it, and fly 30, 30 hours to go chase after a girl, but certainly the motive is something that's, that's highly relatable, and that's where it comes back to the honesty. If, if, if that motive isn't honest and isn't true, then I, I think people might be more inclined to reject it instead of embrace it like you're describing. And then, and then what makes you decide on a particular adventure in your life, like let's say this one, okay, this is the one I'm going to make a video about. Because you don't make videos on your life every day, it's like has to be a particular level of message or intensity. Uh, I don't, I don't know that that's that's necessarily true. I think some of my movies are about pretty mundane things, like buying a new wallet or you know hanging out with my kid. But um, I don't know. The decision point is just whether or not I I make the movie or finish the movie. Um, for every experience or story or adventure that I share in one of my movies, there's 10 behind it that there's, there's no public documentation of. So, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's a purely a matter of resources. I have a notebook that sits on my, on my desk, James, that has a 160 pages full in it, and each one of those pages is an idea, and those are all ideas that I've captured in one way or another but have yet to turn into anything. So it's it's just a matter of resources. If I had no other responsibilities in the world at all the time, um, all the free time I, I had ever wanted, I'd probably be cranking out four movies a week about you know about things that I'm things that I care about or, or ideas that I want to share. But I, I lack that. So instead, it's a uh, I, I I pick and choose, and, and whatever I have the wherewithal to actually get through or realize is what I end up sharing. And um, okay, so what's what's the tech company that you're involved in? Or that you're starting? Uh, it was just a it's, a, it's a project that I, you know, it's an idea that I sort of incubated and focused on and, and started to uh, started to become more serious about at the beginning of last year. And now it's, it's 
now it's become a, a much larger focus in my life, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not so far off from what I'm currently focused on. It's, it's just about new ways to share video, um, and hopefully making it, helping it, helping it, helping other people uh, share video in, a, in, a, in, a, in an easier way, because right now it's still pretty complicated. Well, what's complicated right now about sharing video? Uh, there's a lot of steps to it. Uh, you know, I have a girlfriend of mine, a friend of mine, who when her SD card and her video camera fills up, she buys a new SD card. And I don't think there's anything unique about that, um, but I think what it does highlight is it highlights there's, there's a lot involved. You know, I would say for every every minute of footage that I edit, it takes me, you know, it takes me 20 hours of, of work to realize that one minute. And I think for every video that I upload on YouTube, there's, uh, you know, there's a few hundred million of videos that other people are uploading that nobody's seeing. I just think that making movies is still really hard, and there's an opportunity for technology to, to make it easier. And... Um, we're already seeing that happen. You know, I think like GoPro has done a really great job of making it easy for young people or new people to capture things that they otherwise would never be able to capture. And I think things like iMovie, you know, iMovie was my catalyst for getting into filmmaking uh, in like 99 or 2000, whenever iMovie 1 came out. That was when I was like, wow, I can, I can make a movie now. Uh, and that trend in technology is something that's really exciting for me. I think the more tools that people have to share their ideas and perspectives, um, ultimately the more empathetic the world can become. So, so let's say I'm sitting in a cubicle somewhere and I'm listening to this interview and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I'd really like to start making YouTube videos and having fun with it and maybe even eventually making a living out of it. What, what kind of guidance would you, would you give? I'd say stop listening to this podcast and get back to work because if you want to make YouTube videos, you need to have a job to be able to pay for your cameras and pay for your equipment and pay for your free time to actually make them. Um, as far as doing it for a living, I think it's a terrible idea and I would advise everyone against it. I think that um, you should always make a living so you can make movies. Don't make movies so you can make a living. Okay, so let's say let's take it a different approach. I want to make the most creative movies possible, and I have no idea how. What what what, what guidance would you give then? Um, you know, you buy a camera, use your cell phone, whatever means you have to to capture and, and make something, and it will be terrible. Um, and when it's done, start again and make something, and it'll be maybe a little bit less terrible. And keep doing that until uh, until you find your voice. Um, and I don't mean that to sound pandering or dismissive, but uh, you know, the first three years of me making videos, and I was when I was young and started making movies, I was making five a week. They're all unwatchable. They're terrible. They're horrible. Um, but it takes that kind of investment to before you before you're able to find your voice. And so- I think that if you look at most painters and you look at most musicians and you look at most people that have chosen a, a path of creativity in their careers, their initial, you know, tenure of creating, it wasn't creating the amazing work that, that you or I might know them for. But that's something they had to work towards and discover and, and making movies is no different. And did you, during those three years, and that's like five a week, 750 videos or whatever, uh, did you find yourself getting disappointed at any point? Like were you thinking, ugh, I can't do this anymore? Uh, no, I, I, 
you know, I was just excited to be doing it. It was just something that made me happy. You know, I was working 50 hours a week in a, in the kitchen of a, of a, of a seafood restaurant. Then I was, uh, um, you know, the dishwasher in a restaurant and I worked 50 hours a week. And in my free time, when the baby was asleep, I would, I would be editing videos. And when the baby was awake, he would be the star of my little movies. And that was my life. And then, um, at what point did you realize, whoa, uh, I just did something that everybody liked? What was, what was the first big video? I mean, that was, that was five years later. That was after, you know, moving to New York City. That was after quitting my job in a restaurant. That was, uh, that was a process. There was never a switch. There was never an overnight moment of realization or success. It was all a very slow, very challenging um, crawl to uh, you know t- to finding my voice and, and ultimately finding your career. Um, but as far as the first video that really popped, uh, made a movie with my brother Dan in 2003 about the original iPod, and that movie was really reached a lot of people, um, considering it was three years prior to, to YouTube even being out there. It was just posted on a splash page, and it was still seen by several million people. So. That was the first time I did something that really had some reach. And and it had an effect, too. I mean, I think there was even uh, a class action suit around Apple's uh, battery uh, on the iPod that they had to take care of. Uh, yeah, a class action suit I, I did not participate in, nor was I any part of, but it was certainly initiated because of the movie that, that uh, we had made. And then, and then, what happened after that? Did you get any calls saying, "Hey, can you make a video for me?" No, um, not at all. Just went back to work and kept making more and more movies. Um, you know, it's like uh, it's the best metaphor I can give is it's like being stranded in the middle of the ocean and uh, and paddling, and you know, you paddle for weeks and months and months, and you don't you don't even see the shore let alone get closer to it. But you just have to sort of trust blindly that each one of those strokes is going to get you a little bit closer to where you want to be. Um, so when I look back at the, you know, my, the early years of my career, that's, that's, that's what it was. And, and when were the first inbound calls where they said, hey, Nike calls and says, hey, can you, can you make a video around the idea of make it count? Uh, I mean, that doesn't happen. Make it count was... You know, 2012, that was two years ago, three years ago. Um, that was after working in this industry a decade. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was like the, the first gigs I got paid for were like making terrible wedding videos and, and birthday videos for $150. Uh, it wasn't Nike calling. Nike never called. You know, I was 31 years old before Nike called. Um, but, you know, uh, having the uh, humility to like, edit someone's uh, acting reel for $50. You know, that was the kind of, those were the kind of calls I got in those years. So, so really, but that, you know, the, the side effect of that is, of course, really building up your skill set. Uh, I guess. I mean, I think building up a skill set is something that happens, not editing acting reels. I think it's building up your skill set happens just via self-discipline and, and really keeping your head down and, and focus work and nothing else and just having some sort of faith that maybe eventually with a lot of hard work and a, a tiny bit of luck that it might uh, it might lead me somewhere well, um, before I die. You know, and again, on the path of someone finding their voice, often they study 
you know, people have come before them. And this happens in every field of art or entrepreneurship or whatever. Like what either YouTubers or filmmakers do you recommend or writers do you recommend people people study um, on their path? Um, Malcolm X. I'm a pretty huge fan of, of Malcolm X. Uh, you know, oh, Malcolm all X. his videos. Uh, Malcolm X entered prison as a degenerate and a criminal, and he he took on. You know, he was he was the quintessential autodidact. And while he was in prison, he read so much he developed astigmatism in both eyes, and that's why he wore glasses. But he took that time in prison to to educate himself. And when he left prison. He became, you know, one of the best communicators of uh, of our time, and certainly of the civil rights movement. But that's something that I find hugely uh, aspirational. Are those kinds of things? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And when it comes to filmmaking, it's, I'm a big fan of, of Werner Herzog. And I'm less of a fan of Werner Herzog because of his films, and I'm more of a fan of Werner Herzog because of uh, his message and the ideas that he shares. And you know, him very famously saying that. If you were to start a film school, the application process would be to walk from Paris to Berlin and keep a diary of that of that journey, and that's what you'd hand in. And if you had a film school, there'd be no cameras, but you'd learn things like how to box. Um, that kind of I, those kinds of ideas are ideas that I love. Where where did he say that stuff? I want to refer people to it. Um, uh, to learn about Werner Herzog, I would recommend reading Herzog on Herzog. Um, it's a really fantastic book that sort of encapsulates uh, uh, a lot of what he's done. Um, I mean, you don't have to dig deep to find a lot of great stuff about Werner Herzog, but Herzog on Herzog is, is, is where I'd start. And, uh, you know, the autobiography of, of Malcolm X, I think, is one of the greatest, most important pieces of, uh, of nonfiction, certainly in my, in my career. And, and what other YouTubers do you like? Uh... What other YouTubers do I like? You know, I don't know. Um, I spend a shockingly small amount of time watching videos on YouTube. Mostly I just watch, like, cat videos and, uh, and um, you know, silly things like that. Um, I'm not a big consumer on YouTube. Um, well, you know, also I've noticed you've been uh, playing around, obviously, with, with many other, not just YouTube, but you did a whole video about why Snapchat is kind of the next potentially big video platform. Uh, do you see yourself uh, playing with all of these different platforms and trying to uh, uh, master each one of them? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I think that would probably be a pretty big waste of time. Uh, I just, you know, I, I've never really used Vine. Vine's not really for me. I don't think I can tell a story on Vine. It's an interesting platform, and people are doing great work on there, but it's not for me. Um, same with Instagram. I think Instagram's an amazing place to share pictures, but um, for video, I don't think it's, it's great. Uh, but I like Snapchat. Snapchat is a way for me to share little ideas um, and little, little thoughts uh, in a real-time way to an audience that's, that's interested in those kinds of ideas. I wouldn't call what's being done on Insta on Snapchat filmmaking by any means, but I think it's another really effective means of disseminating ideas and, and perspectives, and ultimately that's what that's what excites me more than anything else. Well, uh, Casey, I really appreciate you spending the time. I think um, this is one of the few uh, 
interviews I've had where it's 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 great. Everything you said is great. You've probably disagreed with me on every single thing I've said in the, in this interview, which is fine. That's totally great because uh, I learned a lot. Um, you know, one thing I'm always curious about: what for you? What's humor? Because obviously, there's humor in every one of your videos. What for you? Kind of stand when you're editing a video because clearly I see your videos are heavily edited. When you're editing a video, what stands out as humor? I don't think humor is anything that makes you smile. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I need to go any deeper than that. But if if you see something, you hear something, you feel something that that makes you smile, then there's humor in that. And I think that there are few few things in this world more valuable than than humor. And um, I love it when someone else makes me smile. Uh, I can tell you what I don't think is funny. What I don't think is humor is when that smile or that laugh comes at the expense of someone else. And that's why prank videos are among my least favorite genre on YouTube or anything else is because I don't think laughing or, or um, smiling or, or having fun at someone else's expense is ever okay. And that's why I have nothing but disdain for prank videos. No, and I, I think a lot of your videos have this element of self-deprecation in them, which is in itself funny. You essentially uh, remove skills from yourself while making the video. So again, you know, the surprise in South Africa, first you know where you're going, then you don't. Like, you remove the skill, and that's funny. Yeah, look, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, James, where I think honesty is at the... Honesty and truthfulness at the heart of everything that, that I try to do, because that's just, that really is who I am. Like, um, I would never want to misrepresent myself by, by pretending or portraying myself as being smarter than I, or more informed than I actually am. And more often than not, I find myself in situations where I have no idea what I'm doing. And um, I feel no shame in revealing that. And I, I think, to be honest, that is the most important message. That's the, the, the key to any artistic form. If people really want to go for it, that's the way you stand out. Because most people are afraid to admit those moments, I think. Well, I think most people, are, most people are afraid of vulnerability. And I think that that's, that's a shame, and that's something I'll never really get because we all have moments of vulnerability. Um, it's something that we can all relate to. So, so why, try to mask, why try to mask that? Why try to present yourself as anything but human? Excellent. Well, Casey, thanks so much. Uh, I'm going to keep watching your videos. I recommend everybody go to Casey Neistat's, N-E-I-S-T-A-T's YouTube channel and wherever else. Where, where else do you want to send people, if anywhere? YouTube's good. YouTube's good. So watch <laughs> that. Good. I recommend people watch the Nike Make It, Make it Count video. Watch the Surprise in South Africa video. Are there any other uh, favorites you really want to direct people to? Uh, I don't know. You know, my favorite one is the one I made with my son. It's called My Kid and Me. Um, that's a that's just a movie that I that's something that I'm particularly proud of. And also, of course, the classic High Heels on a Treadmill. Very good video. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Casey. I really appreciate this. You got it. Good speaking to you. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Now that's what we call done. Visit StansberryRadioChooseYourself.com to download our free report called The Choose Yourself Stories and check back daily for more Ask Altucher.
At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.